Good morning. Thank you for coming today. It's good to see everybody. I want to say hello to our online audience as well. Thank you for joining us in worship. Thank you, Bob, praise team, everybody for leading us in worship. That was truly, truly great. And uh, we're going to continue in our series in Daniel. And this has been a really, really good series. Great, challenging series of messages. It seems to be like what we've needed to hear. And I know a lot of the messages have been r- really deep. And so I appreciate you staying with us along the way. Um, a pastor talked to somebody uh, in his church after a long sermon one Sunday. And, uh, you know, he, he loved his message, but he felt like it needed some work or he could have done a little better. And so he confided in this church member that he talked about uh, things a lot with. And he said, do you think I could have put more fire in my sermon? And uh, he said, no, I think you could have put more sermon in the fire. I was just thinking, man, I'm glad I'm part of a church that doesn't think that about me. <laughs> Today, there's going to be fire in my sermon. Um, we're going to be talking about, about fire a little bit today. I want to start off with a question. How do you know that your faith is real? That is a very, very deep question, isn't it? How do you know that your faith is real? How do you know that your faith is genuine? And how do you know that your faith is strong? You know, um, the churchy answers sound good. Come to church. Uh, worship, yeah, I, I read my Bible every now and then, right, and I pray and all that stuff, I worship and, you know, but th- does that tell you that your faith is real? It doesn't. Um, you know, the true test of a devoted faith is this, it's the test of fire, test of fire, and just by hearing that, right, we're kind of hesitant in, in where are we going today, you know, but just like fire is used to test the quality of precious metal, fires of life are also brought upon us to test our faith. And look, if you come out of the other end of the fire with your faith intact, you know that your faith is real. Okay, um, This is a biblical principle that not many preachers preach on. But there are difficulties in this world brought upon us to test and purify and strengthen our faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says this, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now before this, Peter is talking about the joy we should have in knowing that we have a Savior, and knowing that we have forgiveness, and knowing that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ, and knowing that we have an inheritance, a future to look forward to in heaven, but notice that he says now, but but now, now, for a little while, you know, compared to eternity, for just a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Why? Verse 7, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined fire may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed, right? How important is that verse? You know, what, what Peter is saying here is your faith is more valuable than gold. 
because even gold is not going to last. But you know what? Your faith in the fire, if it's tested and comes through, that is something that's going to last forever and ever. You know, we don't like to think about going through difficulty. But the truth is we will, okay? And uh, how we face and handle any difficult situation is a true test of our faith. Today I want to uh, want us to look together at how three young men faced a difficult situation. You know, they literally faced a fire, um, and, and yet they remained faithful. And so there's a lot that we can learn. I want to share four truths with you this morning about being faithful in the face of fire. First of all, God wants us to have the courage to stand for him. God wants us to have the courage to stand for him. Look, there's going to be times when your faith will be tested. There'll be times when it won't be necessarily easy for you to say, I'm a believer in Christ or I'm a follower of Christ. And there may be times where that's intimidating or scary or uncomfortable, right? God wants us to have the courage to stand for him when those times come. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So verse 1 starts off interesting. You know, when we left off, King Nebuchadnezzar, it looked like he had had a change of heart. You know, Daniel gave him his dream, and he's like, praise the God of Daniel who who reveals dreams. Remember that? And then, whoa, what happened here? You know, we, we look at Daniel and, and we, we see these characters and we, we think Nebuchadnezzar, bad, evil, wicked person. Daniel, you know, really, really good, faithful person. You, you know, we have a lot in common with Nebuchadnezzar, more, more than maybe what we realize. Because I, I know a lot of Christians that are just like that, you know, loose with their faith. You know, they'll, they'll come to a place where they praise and they worship God and they, God, I'm committed to you. God, you're amazing. God, I love you. I want to serve you. The very next week, they're back, back in the same boat, back in the same life. A lot of, a lot of Christians are like that. God, you know, God wants more devotion, more commitment, real faith. And we start to see the difference and the contrast between Daniel and his friends and then Nebuchadnezzar and uh you know, that, that is a really good truth for us to have. But he, he built this statue of solid gold, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. A cubit is about a foot and a half. And this, there's this huge statue, solid gold, set out in the, in the plain of Dura. And that just tells us that Nebuchadnezzar wanted the best spot for visibility and wanted people, all people to be able to see it. And so what he did was he gathered all the people of nobility in his kingdom, all the rulers, all the leaders, all the local mayors of the towns and, and people in the community, all the nobility in his kingdom. He, he wanted to gather them around to worship this image of gold he had set up. And he made a decree that um, when, when his band played, right, when they started playing music, that that was the moment that everybody there was to bow down and to worship this image. Verse 6, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Oh, <laughs> it's that type of thing, right? <laughs> you know, uh, you're, 
I don't have a choice here in this, do I? In other words, they, Nebuchadnezzar forced people to worship this image. This, this big industrial furnace was used as motivation. Now, I mean, big, huge furnace, not a fireplace, but a furnace probably about half the size of this room. Um, furnace that they used to fire blocks and used for building and construction. Um, just a big, massive, hot furnace. He used that um, to motivate people to worship this image. So look, the, the cue came, the time came for the band to start playing. And when the band played, everybody bowed down to worship this image. Thousands and thousands of people out on the plain of Dura, out in this flat space in the middle of the desert, People started bowing except for a few people. Now, if you were one of those bowing, what would you be doing? Right? You'd be, you'd be looking around, wouldn't you? You know, sort of like what preachers do when, when they say every head bowed, every eyes closed. You know what I know what some of you do? I can see you. You're like, you're going to be the one to open your eye, look around, Right? I know you've heard that. That is so funny. I can see you look around. But so that's, ironically, that's what people were doing because they noticed a few people that did not bow. And uh, they, they said, look, there's, there's some people over there not, not bowing to this image. Verse 12, they went and told the king this, but there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve you nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Wow. So out of everyone there, three young men stood. Now, I told you this before. Um, thousands of people, thousands of Jews were taken from Judah. Thousands. Only three stood. there will be times when we will be faced with a decision to either proclaim our faith or to hide it. There will also be times when we will either choose to be committed to our faith or we will do this. We will choose to compromise our faith. And that's where I see the struggle with a whole lot of Christians today is compromise. What do I mean by that? Let's think through the possibilities of what these guys could have done and see if it relates to anything that we feel or see today. Option number one, they could have bowed down but not actually worshipped the image. You think about that? They, they could have bowed down but held their fingers crossed behind their back. And you know what? Most of us would have said, that's okay, wouldn't we? They, option number two, they could have bowed down and worshipped the image and thought in their head, well, I'll just do this just this once, and God will forgive me for it. You know, God's a, God's a loving, forgiving God. I know he'll forgive me for this. So I'm going to do it this one time. Option number three, 
they could have used the excuse of, well, the king asked us to do it. And um, we're supposed to honor our rulers. We're supposed to honor the king, and we're doing the right thing because he asked us to, right? I mean, that sounds good. And that's, that's sort of biblical in a way, isn't it? They could have also used this. They could have used this excuse. Well, our ancestors did this. My parents did this. My great-grandparents did this. They worshipped idols and false gods. No big deal. I'm just going to do it too, right? Do Do you see the compromises there that many of us make? How many how many times do we try to rationalize decisions that we know we know that God does not want? We know. But yet we try to figure it out. We try to make this formula work out to where it'll it'll be okay. And no, God doesn't want us to try to do that. God wants us to to not have that wishy-washiness, that compromising faith. God wants, to, wants us to have a devoted faith that stands and says, you know what, this is not right. I'm not going to make any excuses. I'm going to stand. Second thing, God wants us to trust him no matter what we face. So it's one thing to have the courage to stand for God. It's another thing to have the courage to stand for God knowing that on the other side of your stand or your courage is something that's going to cost you, something that's going to be uncomfortable. That's completely different. And when we are facing something that's intimidating or that's frightening or that's costly, what are we to do? We are to stand for God and trust Him with the consequences of whatever is on the other side. That's what we are to do. So these guys were brought before the king, which amazes me. Um, you know, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't really a second chance type of guy. But, but these guys were brought before the king, and he, he says, why, why didn't you bow? You, you know, I told you ahead of time what would happen. Why didn't you bow? So it's almost as if like they got this second chance. And, and they could have said, well, okay, we'll do it, right? Um, but, but they didn't do that. Notice verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. <laughs> they had the courage to, to stand, right, to defy the decree, to be the very few who stood up. And they were committed here. And, and they said, you know, we're not going to give an excuse we're not even going to talk about this. We have no need to discuss this with you even further. Verse 17, look, i got to warn you. These next verses will blow your mind and challenge you like no other verses will in the Bible. Okay, Verse 17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. Notice this, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Whoa, do you see that confidence in their faith? There was no doubt in their minds. Our God is able. Not only is he able, he will deliver us. But then, look, this is going to throw us for a loop here. Verse 18. He will deliver us, but even if he does not, 
We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. What courage they had in this. Not just to face Nebuchadnezzar with this, but to hash out the reality that they have a God who is able to do anything, who they believe will save them, but even if he does not, they will trust him. That, that amazes me, to, to have that type of devotion. And listen, long before the image of gold was set up, they had their minds made up already that they were not going to bow down to anything less than the one true God. They made up their minds. You know, devotion to God, folks, isn't a last-second decision. It's a decision you make long, 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 long before anything bad happens. And, and it means you're determined to be faithful regardless of consequences. Many of you may remember this name, Cassie Burnoff. Um, she was a teenager in, at Columbine High School in 1999. I know in our first service, many of the kids were not even born. Um, many of us remember that uh, where some gunmen broke into a high school and, and killed 11 students and one teacher. And Cassie was one of those, one of those students. And one of the murderers asked Cassie if she believed in God. And she, she said yes. And as soon as she said yes, she was shot. She was executed for her faith. You know, Cassie's decision to stand for her faith and stand for Jesus like these three young teenagers that we're reading about. It was not a spur-of-the-moment decision. It was a decision she had settled in her heart long before that day. In a letter that she wrote, I'm going to read you just a brief paragraph of this. This is Cassie's letter. When God doesn't want me to do something, I definitely know it. When he wants me to do something, even if it means going outside of my comfort zone, I know that too. I feel pushed in the direction I need to go. I try to stand up for my faith at school. It can be discouraging, but it can also be rewarding. I will die for my God. I will die for my faith. It's the least that I can do for Christ dying for me. She wrote that about a year before her execution, her death, to stand for her faith. Now, was that a last-second decision on her part? It was a commitment she had in her heart long before that day. That's what being devoted to God means for us. Do you have the type of faith that says, God, you are able to do anything. God, you will deliver me from this. But God, even if you do not, I'll trust you with whatever you decide to do. 
may we have that type of faith. You know, standing up for God may mean that we lose friends. It may mean that we lose jobs. It may mean that we lose the lifestyle that we'd always hoped and dreamed about. It may mean one day that we lose our life. Okay? But no matter what happens on the other side of our stand, God wants us to trust in Him. Next, God wants us to know that we will not go through the fire alone. Isn't that good? You know, one promise that the people of God have that's in God's Word over and over again through every story that changes, there's a story that doesn't change, and it's God is with His people. And where they go, He goes. That never changes. After their refusal to bow and to worship this golden image, the king ordered to have these guys, these three guys, sent to the furnace, sent to the fire, and, and he was out of his mind mad. He was, he was so furious with these guys because they made him look bad, number one. Number two, he gave them a second chance, and, he, and they made him look bad again. <laughs> you know, so he was, he was furious. He ordered this furnace to be heated seven times hotter than what it normally was. I guess to match his emotion level. That's how hot he was, right? I mean, he was hot. It was so hot, as a matter of fact, as uh, the guards were escorting the three young men up to the furnace, it, the furnace was, op- was an open-type furnace, and so it would have flames burst out frequently, every now and then. Um, solar flares, sort of like the sun shoots off those things, this furnace would do that too. And as they were going up, these flares shot up and killed the guards, And at the same time, three young men fell into the furnace. Notice verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, Hey, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. Well, he said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed and the fourth looks like a son of the gods so look three men fell in but four men are being seen the guards died at the top okay they didn't they didn't go in can't make that excuse oh that's one of the guards no three fell in four are seen what is that it's the presence of god is it an angel? I don't know. Many many people believe it's it's a Christophany, and that's a, that's a term that refers to a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. You know, we get the picture of Christ in the New Testament in the form of Jesus, you know, in bodily form. But before that, Christ existed before he was born in a manger. So th- so many believe that this is a picture of Jesus with them. Who? Whoever it is, it is definitely the presence of God with them in the fire. And look, I know that going through fires is unpleasant. It's unpleasant for me to even say. And I'm sure these guys weren't too happy about being thrown into a furnace, right? But it's this that makes all the difference in the world. It's knowing that no matter what, fire you go through or how difficult your situation is or how hard or intimidating it is for you it's comforting to know that you are not in that alone 
that the God of the universe, the sovereign God, the King of kings, the creator of the world, is right there with you. You know, and the truth is, sometimes we will see God do and perform the miraculous, and sometimes we will not. But at all times, we will be with him. All times. And he wants us to trust him because he never leaves us alone to go through any fire by ourselves. I want to close with this. Fourth thing is God wants us to show our faith in the fire so others will believe. So others will believe. This is so hard for us to understand and get, but we we really, really need to get it. Um, But this life is not about you. This life is not about me. It's, it's about God. Okay, And like we talked about last week, what's God doing? He's, he's building his kingdom. Right? And, and he does that through us. Okay? And so when we look at fires in our lives, not only are they opportunities for us, for our faith to become purified and strengthened, but they are also opportunities for others to come to faith in God. You know, sometimes seeing us in the fire is the only time someone will see God at work in our lives. Look at verse 27. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. Then notice this. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. (laughs) Wow. We we pray for hedge of protection. You know, we use that language. God put them in a bubble, right? They were not touched at all. They were not harmed, not even a hair on their head. And look, they didn't smell. But they smell great, right? Like Febreze. No smell at all. The important thing here that we need to notice in this is, is they saw them. They saw. Not only did people around them see them come out of the fire and saw that they were not hurt and unharmed, you know, and they had to get up close to them and smell them. They had to do that in order to say that, right? Um, They were that close. They saw them. But they also saw them where? In the fire. And you know who else they saw? The Lord in the fire. You know, they didn't see the Lord until they saw the young men in the fire. You know, people are observant. People are watching us. <laughs> Not in a stalking type of way. Maybe some of you, I don't know. <laughs> but for the very least, in the very least, people are observant, aren't they? Um, people see what we do, what we say, how we act, how we respond to things. And right now, you know, we're, I feel like we're going through definitely a, a fire um, in our time, some a lot more than others, 
and I see a lot of people that are watching and waiting and, and, and seeing how you respond and how you react. You know, the truth is, people do that. Why do they do that? Well, they just all up in my business. Like, no. They have nothing better to do. I mean, people do that because underneath everything else, people are looking for hope. People are looking for love. People are looking for answers to questions that nobody else can seem to answer for them. You see? When we go through the fire, we have a, a time like no other time to show people the devotion of our faith and the reality of our Lord. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this possibility. Someone may come to faith in the Lord because of your faith in the fire. You ever thought about that? You know, God wants us to show our faith in the fire so that others will believe. I want to finish with this verse, Daniel 3.28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to God, to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. Now here we go again, Neb. The, the back and forth, the wishy-washiness, right? Um, here again, he's turned back around and he's praising God. But notice where it goes to next. It goes back to the strength the devotion, the commitment of these guys. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any, any God except their own God. Boy, that is commitment. That is devotion. And that's something that we can all look to. You know, how do you view, view your life? These guys were willing to give up their lives in order to be obedient to God. Is that us today? You know, I don't think we're necessarily in a situation where we're facing death for our faith uh, collectively. You know, there's, there's always going to be those pockets of evil pop up. For the most part, I think for us, what it looks like to die is to die to ourselves and live for the Lord each and every day. I want to encourage you to do that. I hope we can have the same mindset as Cassie Bernal did and be willing to give our lives to the one who gave his life for us. I'm going to ask Bob to come up. And uh, I want to pray, and then Bob's going to close us out with a worship song. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for this message today. Father, help us to take a stand for you. And not to compromise our faith, but to be devoted to you. Um, not to, uh, Father, blur the lines between right and wrong, but just, Father, know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are devoted to you. Father, help us to trust you when we don't understand. Father, help us to trust you when we are frightened of what will take place or what could be or what might be. Help us to trust you when we know the consequences to our faith will cost us. 
Father, also help us to know that you will be with us no matter what we go through. Help us to know that you are able to deliver us from anything and everything. Father, help us to know that your presence and power makes all the difference in the world. Father, finally help us to realize that our lives are not our own. That you sent your son Jesus to die for us, to redeem us, to bring us into your family. Help us to live our lives for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.